Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. Today, during this Thanksgiving season, we are exploring American Indian culture. We are lucky to have Greg Richardson here to engage with us on the topic. Since 1995, Greg Richardson has served as Executive Director of the North Carolina Department of Administration's Commission of Indian Affairs. Under his leadership, North Carolina's program has become the largest commission of Indian affairs in the country, both in terms of staff and budget. During his tenure, he has seen tremendous growth in the areas of health, education, economic, and community development services. Welcome, Greg. Thank you for having me on board. So, you know, every culture has its own way of celebrating Thanksgiving, Christmas, and other holidays or happenings. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to start out with this first question, which is, what is the importance of powwows or other events? Uh, well, the powwows are kind of like a homecoming. And it's a community event. It's uh, not just, you know, an event for tribal members. Uh, friends and relatives usually attend uh, officials of state and federal government, county agencies attend. So it's an opportunity for people to get to know each other better and to stay connected. So the importance is, is it, it's, it's just so important to have a way of communicating traditional uh, um, uh, avenues through which we have communicated, uh, getting to know people. And then when the younger people are born, uh, they learn some traditions. And they they learn from our elders, and so it's a continuing educational process of perpetuating the culture and traditions, their heritage, and those kind of things. So, in intending a powwow, like what would that what would that be like? Like, what's the happening going on there? Is there food? Is there celebration? Uh, you know, or are they all different? It's all, you know, all of that. It's a celebration. There's food. There's traditional dance. Uh, There's exhibitions of of, uh, wares, uh, what we call regalia. Uh, We don't refer to uh, the wares as costumes. That would not be appropriate. Um, Different tribes have different formats. Uh, different tribes have uh, uh, different ways of approaching the way that a powwow is is uh, uh, planned and put together. But it's a celebratory event, uh, recognizing the culture of our people and heritage. Now, are there any other cultural or community differences that you think are important to share? Cultural differences, like any population, um, for example... You know, different regions of our country have different histories. Uh, Different tribes have different uh, perspectives on heritage and culture. 
so in many ways, um, the American Indian population would be like many other populations, that there are differences that take place, and, and people would need to be mindful of those differences. For example, here in, our, in the eastern part of the United States, we have uh, um, uh, a good number of tribes that are state-recognized. And as you move further westward, we have federally recognized tribes. Uh, but we have a mix of all that on the East Coast and throughout the nation. So um, you have to be kind of conscious of that. Federally recognized tribes, of course, are recognized by states. Federally recognized tribes are recognized by the federal government. What's the uh, difference there when you say that? What's the difference between the two? Um, federally recognized tribes are uh, recognized through the U.S. Department of Interior Bureau of Indian Affairs. Federally recognized tribes tend to have treaty uh, relationships with the federal government. The state-recognized tribes generally do not have treaties, but some do. So, you know, there's nothing absolute about mm-hmm. American Indian heritage. But basically, federally recognized tribes tend to uh, reside in a what we call a reservation uh, geographic area, a reservation community. State-recognized tribes tend to be within specific communities, but there are they are blended within other populations as well. So uh, here in North Carolina, you have state-recognized tribes where students attend the public schools. Uh, on a, on a reservation, you will have like a uh, uh, tribal school. Uh, some state-recognized tribes do have their own, like my own Holosaponi Indian tribe. We have a tribal school, but it's under state charter, which it means that it's a state charter school. But we teach grades uh, K through 12 at that charter school. So you you mentioned federally recognized has uh, treaties. What can you give me an example of a treaty? Uh, treaties are like contracts with the federal government. So when those treaties were uh, uh, developed, then uh, the U.S. government uh, basically put in writing in a legal document the way that the the treaties were going to be um, handled and organized. So the treaties might speak to a defined geographic area or boundary where a reservation would be located. Uh, the treaty would also include some provisions in terms of what type of services, types of services that would be made, made available, excuse me, for a particular tribe. Services like Indian health services, which means that when you have a federally recognized tribe, there are hospitals that are administered by the, the tribe, uh, staffed by the tribe. There are housing programs that are made available to the residents of a reservation. So you have uh, housing opportunities and many, many more other areas Mm -hmm. that are defined within a a treaty. So you mentioned population earlier. Um, Can you describe North Carolina's American population as far as uh, how many residents identify as Native American, what kind of tribes they represent, and how it compares to other states? Well, uh, yes, we have the largest American Indian population east of the Mississippi. Hmm. 
and I think the second largest in the United States. Um, according to the uh, 2020 census, uh, we are now uh, have increased to 130,000 American Indians in our state. Mm. Um, then there's another category of American Indians in the United States, which uh, and in our state, which indicates that there are 188,000. And that legal category is something called American Indian and in combination with other populations. That total rises to 188,000 in North Carolina. So in comparison, in 2010, we had 122,000 American Indians that were what in a category uh, defined as American Indian alone. In 2020, we had 130,000 American Indians in that alone category. So uh, we've increased, uh, uh, the population rather has increased from 2010 to 2020. And what we now see is an inc very uh, much an increase in the American Indian and in combination with other populations. But I think that's kind of representative of the general population in the United States. And that's just uh, Greg Richardson's opinion uh, <laughs> that you know, populations are becoming more and more blended. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then something... So on the tribes, I did want to mention, too, that we have eight tribes here in our state. We have seven of those that are state-recognized and one that is uh, fully federally recognized. And then we have one that's what we call quasi-federally recognized, and that would be the Lumbee tribe. See, the Lumbee tribe, uh, the Lumbees were recognized in 1956, um, by uh, government action, but in that same uh, process, they were not included as far as federal services. So they are recognized in one sense, but they do not have an Indian Health Service hospital. They cannot do gaming uh, like the federally recognized tribes or own a casino uh, like the federally recognized tribes. So there's those defined differences as well. Any other facts or truths you would like all North Carolinians to know about American Indians in North Carolina? Oh, yes. American <laughs> Indians are located in all counties in our state, throughout the state. While our population has increased in accordance with the 2020 census, we are still classified as a small population. So with that, uh, it presents a number of challenges. Uh, the visibility you know, uh, oftentimes people say, well, I didn't know we had um, American Indians in our state anymore. But that's because we live in very small, defined communities. So we're not visible on the 6 o'clock news every month, every week, every year. So Indian Heritage Month is an opportunity through which we can gain some of that visibility. So Governor Cooper has issued a proclamation, and this is a longstanding process in our state proclamation recognizing November as Indian Heritage Month. It's a huge celebration taking place at the North Carolina Museum of History, a virtual celebration, on um, the 20th, and this will be the 26th uh, celebration that's been held. So these celebrations are designed to increase an awareness of our people, to provide information about the population, provide information about cultural aspects of this population. So it's open to the public, and it's quite well known that the celebration is one of the largest events held at the North Carolina Museum of History. 
I understand it's also been named a top 20 event by Southeast Tourism Society for five years running. Um, That's right. And just while we're on it, let's just repeat that Saturday, November 20th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., um, the celebration, again, like you said, will be virtual, but uh, there'll be North Carolina's eight recognized tribes. And and uh, tell us a little bit, there's going to be like um, presentations, panels, videos, all kinds of things, uh, listeners out there celebrating the history, the culture. And I just want to give a a website, too, so people can uh, find out more information. It's nc-aihc.com, nc-aihc.com. And so I'm glad you brought that up because I had it in my notes here to to get in at the end, but we got it in now so people will know that. And I've just got a couple more general questions for you, and then we'll be out of time. But I wanted to 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 have you describe for our listeners your leadership structure, meaning family, community, Mm -hmm. elder influence. Well, tribes are are a form of government in American Indian communities where the leadership is elected by the people, by the tribal members. Uh, they some tribes have very formal governing structures like a constitution. Uh, most tribes, however, have a governing structure that's centered around something that would be paramount to uh, uh, bylaws for a community-based organization. And those instruments guide the process in terms of how the tribal government operates and functions. And explain why tribal connections are so vital. Tribal connections are vital um, because of the, continu- the need to continue the heritage of a population. And so uh, having that link uh, is important not only just for tribal connectivity, but for cultural connectivity. And then tribes have something that's called a membership criteria. And only the tribes can issue a enrollment card for those tribes. And oftentimes when uh, uh, American Indians uh, go off to college, students, for example, there are distinct scholarships that are available to guide the process and to help American Indians continue their education. So you have to be an enrolled member. And above and beyond that, there are statutory requirements. There are certain federal programs that require the the members who benefit, the people who benefit from those services to be an enrolled member of an Indian tribe. Mm, okay. So uh, for me to participate in Indian health services, for example, I would have to be an enrolled member of a federally recognized tribe. So here in North Carolina, we have the Eastern Band of Cherokee Hospital, and you have to be an enrolled member of that hospital, of that tribe to be able to benefit from those services. You know, uh, we, we've talked about this American Indian Heritage Celebration, and I'm glad we got the information out on that. I also wanted to see if we could get some information out on, I, I think you were going to touch a little bit on the challenges facing the American Indian population, mm-hmm. and then maybe sure. you could give folks some resources available to help. So representation is one challenge. Uh, often documentation is another challenge. Uh, quite frequently, uh, 
tribal members like myself, uh, if we are encountering a health care facility, going into the hospital, for example, we find that our records are often documented as some other race. Uh, death certificates oftentimes are documented when our members or people pass away. They're not documented as an American Indian. So at the end of, end of the day, what happens with that scenario is that uh, we're not represented in the, those pools of information. Those are just two examples of what we run into. So in the long run, if our state and our hospitals are not collecting data on us, then we cannot you know, prove that we have issues that may be related to a p- pandemic like COVID-19 or diabetes, stroke, cardiovascular disease, and those kind of things. So like any other population, in order for us to develop programs that bring services to our communities, we have to have data. And in so many cases, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that the Indian Commission here, we've been working on that for a number of years. And I must say that there's a marked um, improvement in our data collection system in our state as it relates to health care, uh, education, et cetera, et cetera. But we still have some work to do. And any source for general um, general help for, for uh, you know, the, the folks out there, the American Indians, I, I, can they go to like, to like your organization or where yes. can you direct folks yes. for? We would encourage folks to uh, contact us here at the Commission of Indian Affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe you have our website posted. Is that correct? Why don't In you give age? it to the folks? Uh, I would be, it would be better just for them to do a search for North Carolina Commission of Indian Affairs. Okay. Because if I try to get it out there and, and have everybody write it down, it might, might not work for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> but just do a search for the North Carolina Commission of Indian Affairs. Um, we administer a housing program, a workforce development program, domestic violence program, a low-income energy assistance program. And then beyond that, tribes administer a number of programs and provide services in their communities. So you can always do a search for any of the eight tribes here in North Carolina. Uh, Do I need to mention those eight tribes by name? If you'd like. Sure. The Kohari, Eastern Band of Cherokee, Halawasa Pony, that's my tribe, the Lumbee Tribe of North Carolina, the Meharan tribe, the Okanichi band of the Saponi Nation, the Saponi, the Waccamaw Suan, and then we have uh, urban Indian associations that work and provide services in our urban communities, and they are the Cumberland County Association for Indian People, the Guilford Native American Association, Metrolina Native American Association, and the Triangle Native American Society here in Wake County, Raleigh, North Carolina. All of these tribes and organizations have websites, and they can be located uh, through the Internet system. 
That's wonderful. I thank you so much for sharing those organizations and then all the knowledge and insight you've provided today. I'm sure our listeners have really learned and grown from this uh, podcast. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. It's been exciting. And let's do another one soon. Okay. Good luck with everything you're doing. You're doing a great job. Take care. Well, that was a lot of great, helpful information to get out. I really appreciated that. And I want to do just a little bit more on a nonprofit spotlight. This is an interesting story. An 1891 Salvation Army Captain Joseph McPhee was distraught because so many poor individuals in San Francisco were going hungry. During the holiday season, he resolved to provide a free Christmas dinner for the destitute. You might recognize this, right? The next day, the captain placed a pot at the Oakland Ferry landing at the foot of Market Street. Beside the pot, he placed a sign that read, Keep the pot boiling. He soon had the money to see that the needy people were properly fed at Christmas. Today... The Salvation Army assists more than four and a half million people at Thanksgiving and Christmas periods. And the captain's kettle ideal? Well, it's not only in the United States, but across the world. They're used in Korea, Japan, and many European countries, just to name a few. So please look out for that little red container during this holiday season. And... Keep the pot boiling. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 appreciate your culture and traditions.